Hello, and welcome to Season 5 of The Tailored Creative Show, where every episode is created with you in mind. I'm Taylor, your host, and we're in a series of shows that I recorded several years ago for a different show and a different theme. While my interview skills were brand new and my audio skills were very subpar, I thought these conversations about chasing dreams were still worth sharing. For these shows, the format is similar to the normal one. After the intro you're currently listening to, the music will change and you'll hear the original intros and outros for the shows. You can ignore any notes about show scheduling in those clips because the original show was bi-weekly and these episodes release every Tuesday. I'll also note that there's quite a bit of faith talk in these episodes. I know the majority of my listeners are religious, but if you're not, I'm glad you're here and I hope you still find value in these conversations. I've now known our guest today, my friend Andrea, for over five years. And I'm so grateful that she sat down with me several years ago and shared her experiences and thoughts. I think you're going to benefit much from our chat. Okay, as always, join in the conversation on Instagram or Facebook or connect with me via the email in the show notes. Let's go. Welcome to another episode. This is a longer one. Maybe you want to listen on a walk or a long drive or on a vacation coming up. I enjoyed some warmer days recently and I'm craving a vacation, so let me know where you want to go this year. I need some ideas. I think you'll love hearing from my friend Andrea Aldrich. She is full of wisdom and has a strong relationship with God. She's a person who is wise beyond her years. I've spent years benefiting from friendship with her, and I think you'll really enjoy this conversation with my great friend, Andrea. So hi, Andrea. How are you? I'm doing well. Good. Um, Thank you for doing this. I think you're one of the wise voices in my life who I wanted to have on. That's very Um, flattering. Well, it's true. I think that a lot of people will benefit from hearing a lot of the people in my life because I benefit from it. So I'm ready to get started. Great. Um, So kind of jumping in, as a kid, what what did you want to be when you grew up? So when I was little, I've wanted to be a mom since I was about five. So that was one of my childhood things of I always wanted to play and be mom. For whatever reason, that was something that just stuck out to me, probably because I spent so much time at home with my mom. Now, as I got a little bit older, I developed a real love for music. And that's really what I've ended up pursuing because I realized early on that I was good at it. My mother started me on piano lessons when I was five and I started flute when I was nine. So (laughs) I think I liked it and (laughs) I ended up pursuing that. That's that's so cool. Mm -hmm. So as um, how old were you? Five when you started playing flute? Uh, Piano. Piano. So and nine when you started playing flute. Mm -hmm. So as a little flute and piano player, what was your where did you get to play that you loved? Like, did you have any cool opportunities to... Opportunities or um, actual practice spaces? Because there's a difference. I had both. Give me both. That's that's cool. So when I was in high school, one of my favorite places to practice, piano in particular, and flute later on, was our church sanctuary. We are... Christian school was associated with our church. Our church had an elementary school at the time. Okay. And we would wait for the bus at church to take us over to the high school. Huh. <laughs> because we weren't a part cool. of the public school, but we utilized the public school bus. So that was a, <laughs> okay. a common place for them to pick up students to take to our Christian high school. And in the mornings, my mother was a teacher at the elementary school there and my dad also worked in the same building because they were attached okay i used that we had about an hour from about seven o'clock to eight o'clock that i used for practice and i would go into the auditorium it's this huge space where it's such a a space that really lends itself to quiet and Mm -hmm. It has great acoustics. Right, I was just going to say the acoustics. <laughs> and I could great. play on a baby grand piano and Ugh. put my music stand in the middle of the aisle and play to the ceiling. 
and just get a wonderful sense of you know, what I sounded like in the space. Yeah. And it really made me feel good about myself, you know, because that helps. Yeah. yeah. But that and was... You were, you were elementary school. I was in high school at that point. Oh, okay. Um, elementary Still. school, I was homeschooled most of the time. So I practiced at home. But in high school, that was one of those places where it was just so special. And it made such an impact, not only on me and my practice, but also the people that worked in the building. Because in the afternoons, staff from the school would come in and sit down and listen for a while. And Wednesday afternoons, we would have our uh, youth group would come after the high school let out and (laughs) just stay all afternoon into the evening. And I would have friends come in and do homework while I practiced. Wow, how cool. Yeah, it was. Tell a piano player. That's fantastic. (laughs) Yeah, it was, I mean, I'm not saying I was anything great then. No, but that, that's a cool experience, and that, that's, it's neat, it's a neat affirmation of your playing. I mean, with the job that I had where we traveled to churches, I would, anytime a church had a piano, I would just go practice, because that's where I could. I didn't have a piano at my house. Um, so people would, they were like, oh, go play, I want to hear you play, and I'd be like, I actually have a job to do, but <laughs> sure. Um, that's awesome. So, and then what was the other question? So venue and... Um, like certain experience musically. Uh-huh. I'm trying to think. Then I want to hear the non-music ones. <laughs> You're very interesting. <laughs> I'm glad you think so. Oh my goodness. I guess I. I mean, I never did anything super. Never did Carnegie Hall. Never like... did Carnegie Hall or anything like that. But probably performance-wise, in front of people. I mean, my church was obviously one of the main places that I I did. And then particularly in high school, I was a part of um, my select choir in high school and um, did so many accompanying with the choir. So that was really... Piano or flute? Piano. Okay. Okay. Yeah, I was primarily piano at that point. So that was a real experience, a growing experience, but it was something that I... It was fun to do, but what really stands out to me in terms of performance for flute um, was our youth seminars. We would hold those every March. My church still does it. Um, part of the church fellowship that my home church is a part of in the state of New York, there is um, a, a statewide youth conference that's held at four separate locations throughout the state. My church happened to be the central location for the state. So when I was in high school, the conference was a two-day conference, started Friday night, and then workshops on Saturdays and main sessions. Uh, and we would get up to 500 students from all of these different surrounding youth groups. And I was a part of the worship band and getting to play with a worship band in front of 500 kids with lighting. And the one year we had a smoke machine and it was so cool to just be a part of that, even though, you know, I'm not doing any solo work. I'm just playing with the band. It was so amazing. And I could say that I could do that and be, and that for me, and that's really where I realized that as much as I love the spotlight that place was really the place where I found I was the most, I was brought to the point of worship more quickly mm-hmm. because I was having to pay attention to what I was doing mm-hmm. and why I was doing it. And I've always been, especially with worship leading, I've always been very conscious of the fact that if I'm up there leading other people, I really need to make sure that my heart is right. Yeah. And that I never got to that point faster than when I was in front of people. It, it is the coolest thing when, when you're in a group setting and worshiping. I got to go to a school with 13,000 students plus and so worshiping in a setting like that with voices beyond voices just shouting God's praise um it is the coolest I mean even in church I'll stand there and kind of get quiet and just go God do you hear this it's it's so beautiful and to know you know hopefully all those those hearts are sincere and and we're just singing singing this praise um I love getting to watch you up on stage as you play flute um 
seeing any of my friends up, up on stage, I just want to stand up and applaud you. Um, cause it, it, it's so cool to see people, you know, personally, um, worshiping God in, in a public place where they're getting to lead others. Um, it's just, it's just one of the coolest things. Um, do you, what kind of, so your parents kind of got you into music. Mm-hmm. Um, was there something that you kind of wanted to do that they didn't push you towards that you didn't end up doing? I loved dance when I was little. I wanted to be a ballerina so badly. <laughs> She's so happy. <laughs> awesome. I would watch the little girls' kids' movies, especially the musical ones, and I would memorize the steps and dance along with the movies. Oh, you're adorable. I wanted to do it so bad. However, I did understand that my parents at one time had me in three different kinds of music lessons. So any yeah. kind of dance lessons was really out of the question. <laughs> Yikes. Um, so, but you never continued that. You never, I mean, did the desire kind of fade away since you didn't have consistent consistency there? For dance? Yeah. yeah. Not really. But I, what is fascinating about it is I found other outlets for it that came up later in life, actually. I, when I graduated high school, my, who is now my best friend, but my music teacher at the time really wanted a workout buddy. And so she, and she is only a quarter mile away from where I grew up. Her, her parents' house is only a quarter mile away. She was still living with them. She wasn't married at the time. And so she, she and I had a really good connection during my time in high school and gotten to be good friends as I was a junior and a senior. She And we had similar tastes, similar interests. She's like, would you like to do Zumba with me? So we did. Yeah. <laughs> I was like, yes. Yes. I wanted to do that for a while. And I yeah. had been, I had done d- dance workouts in high school too. So mm-hmm. there had been that. I was using it as a workout um, type of outlet. Mm -hmm. So she and I got into that and did that for a few years. And even after I was done with my associate's degree and I was working full-time at a bank, my, um, bank manager actually got into Zumba and all of us got, went, started going to live classes for Zumba, which was so much fun. So that was an outlet for dance. And then when I came to and finished school here in Pennsylvania, found connected with people who were part of swing dancing. Yeah. I love <laughs> and it. And I loved swing dancing, fell in love with it immediately and was able, I mean, I went to everyone that they went to. That's awesome. <laughs> so, and I've had other opportunities. My boyfriend and I took swing dance lessons last fall. Yeah. So opportunities like that have arisen and I've, I've jumped on cause they're, it's never something I'm going to pursue as a career, but it's no. certainly something that I enjoy doing as recreation it's a it's a fun outlet Correct. I mean yeah my best dances are like a chicken with a broken leg but you know <laughs> I uh I, I try but um I think it's a really fun it's a fun outlet it's, yeah. it's for stress or mm-hmm. and I think um I totally agree yeah and I grew up with the mindset from the people around me that that dancing was wrong um mm-hmm. and ever I was since, there too yep yeah. um but I think the more I've learned the more I've you know, learned about God, I think, why wouldn't he give us bodies that, why would he give us bodies that can move if we're not supposed to move them? Mm -hmm. Um, and so I think that's just the coolest. Um, I was like getting to hear certain ways of, you know, pursuing those outlets. Mm -hmm. Um, so for music, what has been the coolest opportunity you've had? The coolest opportunity in general? In general, and maybe to you specifically, like maybe you had a dream that no one else would, you know? In general, probably the coolest opportunity I've had is being in the choirs for the Getty concerts that mm-hmm. have been um, our connection with Karen University and the Gettys has really opened up some opportunities to be a part of their concert choir. Keith which and Kristen. Keith and Kristen Getty. Kristen Getty, yep. yep. So, and getting okay. to go to their sing conference a couple years ago, that was probably, that's probably the coolest music in general opportunity I've had uh-huh. for me specifically I mean that is sort of specific to me because it's like oh. yeah and then, but it's cool <laughs> but it's, it's awesome cool. yeah um I think for me specifically the coolest thing and this is going to sound kind of not cool but yeah. it is cool to me is 
my being able to share my gift with my private students and with my church families. Mm-hmm. I think those are really the places where I can invest what I've learned back into somebody else, yep. which is really where my heart is. Mm-hmm. And I, I love being able to teach and to train, especially in something that I'm so passionate about. And then being able to worship with that, because I, I'm a firm believer that everything you do, whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do it all for the glory of God. And it is an act of worship. Yeah. And being able to use the gifts and talents that God's first of all given me, I've developed them and now giving them back because they were God's to begin with. Yeah. That's why I love you. Um, I, I just think you have such a good focus on, you know, what is, how is God using me so that I can pour into others? Um, you do that very, very well. Oh, um, you. You're welcome. Um, so looking, looking ahead, kind of, what do you, um, what do you see yourself doing in the future? I, I know, but I want, I want the listeners to know. <laughs> My long-term goals for me personally, I want to gain more students for as in terms of a career I want to gain more students that I'm pouring into I want to really pursue that because I think that's something that God's placed in my life as something it's something that he's given me specifically and I have a responsibility and I'm convicted mm-hmm. to to give that back the other is um that's long-term. That's something I want to grow and do. Um, I have lots of little things that he's working in my life now doing, um, in terms of my current career and where I'm at. And so those things I feel, I, I feel confident that right now where he's placed me is where I'm supposed to be focused, but long-term utilizing those gifts as the, the opportunities arise, whether it be in ministry, um, teaching students, um, taking opportunities to perform other places, performing recitals, building up some of those things. Those are good career things, but they're also, Mm -hmm. it's a utilization of what I've already been given and a a chance Mm -hmm. to give it back. Uh, and also investing in ministry. I have a really heart, real heart for, um, lay ministry and just being part of the church because I grew up with both my parents being in some capacity of full-time ministry, being able to kind of pour back into the church staff that is already there since I understand what they go through (laughs) as um, someone who my grandfather was a pastor, my dad worked in full-time ministry, not as a pastor, but um, doing business within the church. Um, I know the stress that's there, know the miscommunication that can be there and know just what it's like to, mm-hmm. to serve in that capacity. And so being willing and able as a lay person to be able to head some of those other things up. Now, I'd love to do it specifically in music. That would be mm-hmm. that is a dream um, to be. I know it's a crazy dream, but to be a church mm-hmm. music coordinator and to, to help. They exist. I know they do. I know, right? Yeah. <laughs> but to help in that way, since that is something particular to my gifts, but also in other ways as well. Yeah. Do you, are there certain people who speak into, I mean, I'm sure there are, um, but who speak into who you are and what you're doing? Uh, yeah. My dad is probably a, one of the biggest people that speaks into my life and who I am. He has been somebody that I have always felt like I could talk to. Um, I wasn't always as close with my mother when I was growing up. She and I are a lot of li- a lot alike. <laughs> and so we had our differences on trying to, you know, get on the same page. But she and I are, are very close in terms of our relationship now. Um, but my dad has always been the one who has a lot to say mm-hmm. in terms of who I am. And he knows me really well. And he keeps me honest <laughs> and you're his only girl right I am his so, only girl so, so there's that, there's that. Yeah. um but my dad has definitely been that person who has given a lot of advice he's very perceptive especially in terms of people 
and he's you've gotten that from him <laughs> i i'd like to think i have a little bit i'm probably not nearly as good as he is in but his has comes with a lot of perspective mm-hmm. too in terms of his life but he has someone that is always there to to throw perspective on things i don't always agree with him on his perspectives but i always take them to heart and he is generally right in a lot of them. <laughs> yeah, it's amazing um, what kind of what influence good parents have, mm-hmm. and we're, both of us are blessed with good parents. Yeah, um, and they definitely speak into. I mean, my parents always have spoken into everything I do, mm-hmm. um, given me wisdom on everything, and so I really value that. Yeah. Um, I really value having friends around me. Um, mm-hmm. There were years where I didn't, and so um, a year mm-hmm. um, specifically, but. You know, I really value having friends who are godly friends who, who really know me and know, you know, what they should tell me and know what when to tell me something's crazy and when to just kind of support me in it, um, like starting a podcast. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> but I think it's also important to have friends who are unbelievers mm-hmm. because not only can we influence them and show them Jesus, um, th- I think a lot of people, the way I grew up is, well, you should have non-believer friends to convert them. Mm-hmm. I, I don't think that's what that that's about. Yeah. I mean, we believe that Jesus is the only way and we want them to know Christ, but I think it's about showing them God's love through us. Um, it's not about trying to, you know, win them over because we're not going to do that. That's, that's yeah. God on God to call them, mm-hmm. um, to himself. So, um, are, do you have non-believer friends as well who influence you yes um are that do they play a big input in do they have a big impact into who you are not at the current moment so i i grew up probably very very much in a bubble mm-hmm. and really did not have any non-christian friends until i got my first real job okay, okay. <laughs> and they were my co-workers so sure. my time with them was really limited and i would still consider them my friends or still friends on facebook we still mm-hmm. communicate once in a while but they're definitely not as close as we as we, i don't see them every day anymore um, but they had a huge impact on on me and mm-hmm. as a whole person during my time that I was able to be with them. Mm-hmm. I worked at a bank for two years. And of course, all the, the women who were there were wonderful women and but they were not believers. Mm-hmm. I matured so much with them and I had conversations with them. I never thought in a million years I would have yeah. just about life in general and about faith. And yeah. it, first of all, showed me that I'm fully capable of talking about my faith with non-believers yeah. and I don't have to force it out. It, come, it comes naturally because it's part of who I am. Mm-hmm. But the other part that I realized was these people were genuine people. Mm-hmm. They yeah. wanted to do good and they had standards and they had ideas about life and they had their own philosophies that was nothing to sneeze at yeah and as a christian especially a young christian you especially one that doesn't always interact with a secular society on a regular basis you you have these ideas that non-believers are always awful (laughs) even though that i mean that's the that's the perception you get and Mm -hmm. it's not true it's not true at all and yeah. one of the things that challenged me the most in those those couple of years where I was working with them was some of them had stronger convictions and were were better than some people. I say better in a very broad sense, but mm-hmm. better than some people I knew in the church. Yeah, much more accepting, much kind. more kind, right? Much more generous. Oh my goodness! And, and Christians it, eat each other up. I know, and it mm. it really it really got me very depressed for a while. And I was very disgruntled by the fact, by what I was seeing, Mm -hmm. because I would come to church and I would see not hypocrisy necessarily, but I would see people who they expected something from, from you that Mm -hmm. first of all, shouldn't be expecting. Mm -hmm. But second of all, it was in a, in a sense of that, well, you're a Christian now, so you should Mm -hmm. always do X, Y, Z. And, 
Well, yes, as Christians, we're supposed to keep each other accountable. The biggest problem that we fall into is our legalism in in doing that. Mm -hmm. And this was something I I had to, I talked to my dad about, and I talked to other um, Christian women who were mentors with me at the time. I said, here's this thing. How come we as Christians are not as generous mm-hmm. and kind as mm-hmm. some of these people that I'm doing life with at work. Right. I don't understand right. why we're not doing these things. Why aren't we out in the society doing, giving to the food drives, helping people that yeah. we are commanded to help? Yeah. What is our, our church is doing nothing, <laughs> which was not completely true. No, but, but it but felt in like comparison. it. In comparison, right. it felt right. like it because the biggest thing I was seeing was that people were making these choices on a personal level. It was not, oh, my church is doing this thing, so I'm going to go be part of my church thing, but not really do anything myself. Mm-hmm. It was they made that decision for themselves and for their families made those decisions to do mm-hmm. those things. And that's what so impressed me and challenged me just am I lazy? Am I apathetic in how I'm approaching the world? And how I'm interacting with people who are just your everyday, day-to-day people. Yeah. And how am I reacting to people who are in the church? Am mm-hmm. I giving them the generosity that they that I should be giving them as a Christian? And am I giving that same generosity to non-believers as well? Yeah. And that was something I really had to wrestle with. I really had to figure out, you know, I have to... I have to have a conviction to serve and not just serve the people who I think deserve to be served, but to serve everybody. Yeah. And those non-believers in my life, they're the ones that helped me. God used them in my life to show me that. Yeah. And I was very convicted. It's so against everything we were ever taught, Mm -hmm. you know, um, I think in church this past Sunday, pastor was taught, and I've mentioned this before, but pastor was talking about how the kingdom of God, he was going through Luke 13, and the kingdom of God will start as a mustard seed and will come smaller than we expected. Um, it will come um, quieter than expected. And it, it's those little moments of people saying, huh, she was really kind to me when she, she brought that up at work. Or, you know, she the way she smiled, I, I've never seen anything like that, you know, as the one song says that they in us would see the father's love through even just a smile. Um, that's, I, tr- I want to live that every day. Clearly I'm, I'm human and I'm, I don't do it well. Um, but it's so important that we do because that may, our lives may be the only gospel some may ever see or hear. Um, but the fact that the unbelievers were kinder and more generous and, and more gracious than the church is something that should never be. Yeah. You know, the Christians should be the ones who love the world like Jesus did. Mm-hmm. Um, Jesus was the one people followed him and didn't even know why. They were like, he's he, he's gained all this, uh, uh, all these followers for what? You know, because he loved them, mm-hmm. because he actually showed kindness and compassion as it's supposed to be. You know, the only people he ever called out and we, we had just talked about this. The only people who he called out were the ones who thought they were better than everybody else. Mm-hmm. Um he gave grace and, and kindness to the sinners. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that's the model we should follow. Mm-hmm. Um, so in your daily life, how do you see in with your current, current coworkers, um, now that you work at a Christian school, um, how does that, how does that apply there? In a lot of ways, I, I, had to get used to being in a Christian setting mm-hmm. all over again when I started working at the Christian school where I'm at now. Um, but even then, I came to realize the diversity of people in that setting mm-hmm. and the different places within life. Now, I grew up in a very rural area where there was not as much diversity in terms of thought, in terms of people, um, not that there wasn't any, but it was just very, very limited. And now being closer to Philadelphia where there's so many more people, so much more diversity, so many more, um, even within church, just denominations that I've mm-hmm. been in contact with, with people, that's something that's, I have really 
that's been a new challenge to tackle, but something that I've drawn off of my experience with non-believers from before. I, I've utilized that experience so much professionally, just even within my job going, I learned this at my past mm-hmm. job and how to relate to people. Because as a bank teller, it's all about the people and you're, mm-hmm. you're, you're doing them a real service and there's um, protection involved and there's a, a relationship type of atmosphere that's involved because for security, you have to get to know your customers, your regular customers. You need to mm-hmm. know them by their first name. You need to yeah. know them. You need to know them by sight. You need to know what their regular habits are in terms of their money it, because that all goes towards you being able to de- detect something that's not right. Mm-hmm. And so there's a relationship that you naturally build. I mean, I came back on a, on a break in between my semesters at Karen and I went to go see the girls at the bank because I wanted, I missed them. Mm-hmm. And your customers. And yeah, I miss yeah, my customers so too. Cause I walked in and I, I saw one of my old customers. She gave me a hug. Like it yeah. was, it was very relational, very personal and so I've been able to take some of those things that I've learned and apply them to my job, even now in a Christian setting, mm-hmm. um, because I'm still in a customer service type of position as a visit coordinator for prospective students. I still need to be able to relate quickly. I need to be able to have a name down. Mm-hmm. I need to be able to take them as they are when they come to me. Mm-hmm. And that's probably the biggest principle that I learned being cl- with non-believers is that you, you don't hold them to a standard that you have because you can't. Yeah. And so when yeah. I interact with, <laughs> when I interact with um, prospective students and their families and even my own coworkers, like I, I can't project a standard that's, mm-hmm. that's expecting more than it ought to. Mm-hmm. And I try to be very careful with myself. I I want to take those people wherever they're at, because even if we are Christians and we are expect, we are meant to be kept accountable. We are supposed to be living uh, a life that pleases God. Not all of us are all the time. No. And that's why so many faith people are called uh, are hypocrites because Mm -hmm. they think that because we're human, we can't do human things. Mm -hmm. But we look at the outside world and go, well, the sinners shouldn't be acting like sinners, mm-hmm. you know, like it just, there's a disconnect. Yeah. And one of the biggest things I've learned is that people are people mm-hmm. and they do stupid peopley things. Preach. <laughs> <laughs> if the Bible yeah. has taught us anything, it's that we're creatures of habit and that our natural default because of sin is to rebel and yeah. is to do our own thing. And I am guilty of it too. And so when I approach people, I love people, but when I approach people, I have to remember that. And I have to Mm -hmm. remember that I can't have an expectation for them. First of all, that's anything beyond just the fact that they're going to be human. If they're a Christian, (laughs) if they're a Christian, yes, I, I have a duty and a responsibility to say, you know, the Bible teaches this. And mm-hmm. as Christians, we need to, to be living this way. But iron sharpens iron. Iron sharpens yeah. iron. But also, it's not appropriate for me to to go on a whole rant to a prospective mm-hmm. student right then and there because I'm not involved in their life. If I'm not going yeah. to, if I'm not willing to be involved in their life and actually help them, mm-hmm. I have no right saying anything. Yeah, we don't we don't get a negative say in others' lives, especially if we're not involved. Correct. Right. Correct. And what the only thing I can do in that point is to love them where they are, mm-hmm. and loving them might be telling them the truth, but it also might be seeing things particularly particularly seeing things from their perspective and trying to put yourself in their shoes trying to understand whatever hurt whatever joy whatever things are happening in their life that they're sharing with you right then and there Mm -hmm. because coming to their level and making that connection is the start of a relationship yeah and that is the path to maybe okay now that we know this about each other, now we can help each other. Mm-hmm. Oftentimes I don't get that far with them, but that's mm-hmm. where I have to start every relationship and every contact with prospective yeah. students. And then with my coworkers, I had to start there when I met them. And now I'm on that path of iron sharpening iron mm-hmm. and keeping them accountable, but also not holding them to my own personal standards. Yeah. 
That's so important because so many Christians, I think we try to do right. We try to live by the Bible standards, but then we think everybody else is doing it wrong. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, man. So, so how do you see God moving in your life and how do you hear him? I have, I see God moving in my life in a lot of ways. I feel like I play a lot of psychological war games with myself in terms of what I see happening in my life and what is what I interpret it as as God's leading. And I have been a Christian for most of my life. I was saved at a young age. I was convicted at a young age. I understood the truth at a young age. And I have spent a lot of my life trying to pursue doing right and serving the Lord. And that has impacted so much of what I do, but also I know I probably wouldn't even be at that point if it hadn't been for all the blessings that God had already given me. Mm He, he paved the way for who I am as a person. First of all, he made me and then he, created the circumstances around me. Mm -hmm. And so just as I reflect on my life, I just see the Lord's hand even there. And I can see how he's worked through people in my life, how he's worked through circumstances. I mean, people are directly related Mm -hmm. to the circumstance (laughs) and then how he's convicted me through his word. I mean, there's so many ways of how I've seen the Lord work in my life. I probably every way there is, mm-hmm. <laughs> I've probably seen it. I've been convicted through literature. I've been convicted through movies. I've been convicted through people, through circumstances, through dreams. I've, and I don't mean dreams in a crazy way. No, but sense, you remember your dreams, which remember. is ridiculous. <laughs> I know, we had that conversation. I know. But I... That's- I have seen his working in my life. I've seen the Holy Spirit's impact on my life in, in all of those different ways. And maybe the Lord, you know, wasn't, there was no lightning bolt, but there was a continual push of Andrew, you got to go in this direction. Andrew, Mm -hmm. it's time to go in this direction. I've seen doors close. I've seen doors open and my, and through prayer, my continual prayer is that the Lord would change my heart and make my desires, his desires. Because I know when those two things are aligned, mm-hmm. I will always be on the right path. That's good for people to hear. Um, and I think that's very wise. I think that, um, I think you're right. I think knowing, it's not about God having a specific plan for every single one of us to follow. Mm-hmm. It's about the little things where he leads us that he kind of, I think it's John Acuff who calls them hinge moments. You know, you're you're in a concert and you hear somebody say something, you're like, oh, I never knew I had a feeling for that. Like, mm-hmm. I never knew I cared about the homeless people or whatever it may be. And you kind of like, boop, hinge moment. Um, you kind of hinge in a different direction, I think. Um, I think that's so important. Um, do you feel like there there have been certain defining moments that have led you to where you are? For sure. I mean, the one that always stands out to me is when I was eight years old and I dedicated my my life to the Lord, that's always a moment that I see as a defining moment because I knew what I was doing. And I prayed specifically for the Lord to forgive me of my sin and to be my Lord and master. And I understood mm-hmm. what Lord and master meant. Mm-hmm. And I made a choice that I wanted that. And even just talking about it, I still come back to, I really want that. Mm -hmm. Um, I fail all the time because my own selfishness gets in the way and I have to Mm -hmm. come back to the Lord and say, Lord, I'm sorry. I was selfish. I did things because I wanted it. And I mean, we can overthink those things too. And those are the Mm -hmm. psychological Mm -hmm. games we put ourselves through also. But that was definitely a defining moment of, I made a choice of who I was going to be. Um, maybe not in a career sense, maybe not in a, I'm going to go off and do this sort of sense, but in a, a personal sense, I made a decision of what kind of person I wanted to be. Yeah. And I think that defines more of who you are than anything else. You know, that a serious 
commitment to Christ is, I mean, that shapes everything. Mm-hmm. Um, so it, looking towards the future, do you have certain goals and dreams you aspire to? I know you do, but I want, again, I want the listeners to hear. Goals and dreams in what sense? Um, career-based, um, musically for you, mm-hmm. um, or other. Are there certain ones we don't know about yet? <laughs> I mean, I, on a personal level, for first of all, for career level, I kind of already touched on a little bit of being able to teach. Um, that's really a passion of mine and wanting to really pour into students' lives, particularly on the individual level. Just as a student who did private lessons through my whole music career, I know the importance not only of the individualized attention, but also the mentorship that really can spring up from that mm-hmm. and the impact that can have on you as a person. Mm-hmm. It's really, in my view, a holistic way of going about learning. If you're going to learn about something as specific as music or as specific as a certain instrument, um, you really do need a holistic sense of developing the person, developing the skill, developing the mind, developing the spirit, because it all goes into itself. Mm-hmm. The Lord created us with a mind, body, and spirit, and he commands us to love him with all of those areas. Mm-hmm. And they're all important to develop. We can't just choose one over another. Mm-hmm. We're not fulfilling what he made us to be, and we're not fulfilling what he commanded us to do. Yeah. So that's why I really am so passionate about that. So in terms of a, a career goals and career um, things that I want down the line, um, that is that is what I want to do is really be able to teach and, and gain more students, be able to pour myself into them and what I've learned and to learn more to give them. Yeah. Um, that's really, it's, when I teach my students, I want to learn more. Mm-hmm. And it makes me hungry for that. In terms of personally, I mean, I've always had a deep desire to be married and to um, have a family and to invest in my children and raise up godly children. Mm-hmm. Um, I want to really be a wife that can support and chase after my husband's dreams along with him. I want to be his right hand. Mm-hmm. Um that's a personal deep desire. Um, now that's in the Lord's hands as, as to when he fulfills that desire, mm-hmm. but he knows about it. So <laughs> yes, he does. Yes, he does. But that is, that is a personal desire that I have just for, you know, sure. life goals beyond that. I mean, I really just want to use everything the Lord's given me and give it back mm-hmm. uh, because that is, what I'm supposed to do. I want to love the Lord with all my heart and my mind and my strength and what that looks like. I still am not totally sure of yet. Yeah. I think I know what I want to do, but I don't know how the Lord might change that. Mm, that's the hard part. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, do you find that you have any fears daily or, or, you know, periodically that hinder you from chasing what you want to? Oh my goodness. I have so many fears. Um, mm. The biggest one is probably the one that says that I'm not good enough. I think we all mm-hmm. struggle with that fear on some level. Yep. And as a musician, that is one of the worst things to think about because there's always somebody better than you. As a creative in general. I mean, in general. Yes, <laughs> yes anything you do, art, music, mm-hmm. writing, whatever you may do. Yeah. There's always someone who's going to be better. There's always somebody who's going to be better. And you can't, I mean, could you practice more? Could you do more? Of course you could. Uh-huh. But the reality is, is that either up to that point, you just haven't. Or observation, or it hasn't been your calling to do so. Yeah. And, or you've done plenty. And this is just where the Lord has put you. Yeah. That is one of the fears that I often fall into in terms of letting it stop me from taking opportunities because I struggle with never feeling like I'm the most qualified in the room. Mm-hmm. I don't feel like I'm the most qualified. Mm-hmm. I love to put on a pr- good performance, but usually I feel like I'm a fraud. I feel like it is a performance and it is a face and I'm only going through mm-hmm. half half attained knowledge that is often how I feel. Is that a one an Enneagram once fear? 
Probably. Uh -huh. I feel like <laughs> Probably. It, it sounds familiar. Um, huh. I had a, a composition good. teacher once tell me, he's like, you're you're really good in the waiting room. Like when people come in and first meet you, and you give a really good first impression. He's like, but you'd probably go in the back room and go, oh, I don't know what to do. I don't know what to do. And I'm like, yeah, that is exactly. Like, have you seen is. me in there? Yeah, because that's pretty much it. <laughs> that's that's pretty much my entire life. Like, why are you stopping? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, and I, I never really had realized it until that moment when he said it. And then as, after he said it, I was like, wow, that really is me. Yeah. That really is. Yikes. Kind of the fear that I have is that I'm never going to be fully prepared for whatever is going to happen next. And I mean, the reality is that you're never, you're right. never going to be fully prepared. Right. And I have to remind myself of that. And I, I really have to work through the psychological fears of, of those things get in my head. And then they affect what I do. Yeah. And it's not until after the fact that I go, I should have taken that opportunity. Or I should have done those things. And it's yeah. in that moment when I'll have these moments where I'm telling myself to do something. And I'm so scared of messing it up that I don't. So, and, so but how do you deal with that? How do you do, deal with that fear on a daily basis? On a daily basis, I mean, the, the truth of the matter is you don't always, you're not always aware of it every single moment. Right. You look back and you, <laughs> you see it. You look back yeah. at it and you see it. Like, darn it. <laughs> yes. Um, but in the moment when I'm struggling with that, now sometimes I, I admit it. I, I give in to the fear and I say, I'm not doing it. I just, I won't because I don't want to I don't want to. In that moment, my will is gone. And so I've definitely, I'll admit to those moments where it's like, I, I know I should be doing this, but I'm, I'm not going to. And that is usually the most convicting for me because I know that I'm going against something I should be doing. And that my life verse is James four seventeen, which says, um, for him that knows to do good and doesn't do it to him, it is sin. And it, that verse comes right back at me. <laughs> Interesting. That's your life verse. It is not by choice, but it is because it's what stuck with me yeah. for my life. And mm. that is the verse that I always recall to mind when I'm confronted with doing something I know is right. I know I should do, whether it's personal or whether it's just in general. Like I see a piece of garbage lying on the floor and there's a garbage can guess what? That verse pops in my head and I pick up the piece of garbage. Wow. <laughs> I'm pretty sure that's a one's life verse. <laughs> Probably. <laughs> like, do right. And if it's not right, you fix it. <laughs> yeah, pretty much. Pretty I, much. There's a shirt that said, I'm not nitpicking. I'm just fixing it. <laughs> it's like, yep. Yes. So I have to be careful of that sometimes because I can overdo that. Right. And I have to really weigh, okay, what is really right in this moment? which is a whole other thing spectrum. Yeah. But that's, that's often, I'm usually convicted after those moments of making that decision. Um, but in those times when, when I win, when I, when I make the right choice, I, I have to work through it psychologically first. Mm -hmm. And then once I know, once I'm confident of the right course of action, I take it and mm -hmm. I, I do it. Even if I have, if, if things go the way I want them and I have enough time to work through all of my fears, mm -hmm. I can make the right, I can do the right thing and make the right choice. Um, the choice that I know is not something that just what people are expecting, but also the effects are long lasting and they are in accordance with what I know to be right biblically. Mm -hmm. And so that, I mean, that takes me obviously some time <laughs> And right. there's obviously some conditioning that has to happen in terms of, you know, getting yourself in the habit of making those sort of right decisions more quickly, mm -hmm. which I've made some strides in that. I am very far from mm -hmm. <laughs> getting that any kind of, you know, mastery level. But <laughs> it's all right. We all are. Yeah. But um, is there... What personal name of God is, is special to you and why? And how does that influence you? Abba Father is mm -hmm. the most special to me because that 
first of all, I think it partly stems from my relationship with my dad. He really helped me understand what a relationship with, with your father is really supposed to be. It's supposed to be close and it's supposed to be one where you, you're never afraid to bring something to his attention. Now, it doesn't mean that he's always going to be, you know, <laughs> like, oh, this is the most wonderful thing. Yeah. But he's, he'll, there's honesty there and there's a tenderness there that is special. And that's something that I don't always feel with the Lord in his presence, but I know he longs to be that with me. And I long to have that feeling with him. There's been only a few times in my life where I've really, and I wish I had more experiences like this, but there's been a few times in my life where where prayer has been so sweet and where it's been a, a reflection, an intimate reflection on who God is and just feeling the closeness of who he is in my life and seeing the blessings and seeing that he is there. And oftentimes those, those, those moments, as few as they are, have happened in the most mundane of times where, you know, nothing's really going wrong nothing's really going right. It's Mm -hmm. just sort of an in-between time. And thinking of of God as, as my father, as somebody who is directly over me, who cares for me, who loves me, who's looking out for me as a person. And learning about him has really helped with this because I understand that of his intentionality of making me in mm-hmm. the way that I am and get and putting me in the circumstances that I have, I could have been anyone. I could have been in any circumstance. I could have had any life. And he gave me this one. Yeah. So, which is, you have no control over any of those things. And when you realize who God is and the blessings that he's already put there, regardless of whatever situation you're in, it is just, it it leaves you speechless because you realize there is, you are a non-variable it doesn't mean that you didn't matter, but it does mean that it's how much you do matter because he orchestrated all of those things. And he does that for every single person. Uh-huh. He orchestrates all those things for every single person. And he, just the way he made you, the situation that he put you in, all of it is designed to work together. And uh-huh. that boggles my mind. That is incredible just the way that he, as a father, made you, placed you, has you in, he has a purpose for you, and he has you in the exact place, in the exact time, for an exact reason that you don't even know. And for a lot of people, that that is the great unknown of what is my purpose, what am I here to do, is really distracting. Mm-hmm. But I think it doesn't it's have to be. That. It no. doesn't, it's not about that. Because honestly, we're not meant to see the whole picture. I think, I think you're so, you're so right. And the pro my problem is when I get super serious and, and when I'm introspective, I'm healthy. Mm-hmm. Um, when I'm stressed or when I'm, you know, I can't make a decision or whatever I tend to run from him. Mm-hmm. And it's so good to remember that he, that he loves us regardless i mean he loves the the me who's late to church or but not even just that who who has terrible thoughts and who who willingly does sin even though i know it's wrong and you know it's that kind of god blows my mind mm-hmm. and to know that he he knew we would sin mm-hmm. and he created us anyway yeah it just it's beyond my comprehension yeah. well he knows you better than you could even know yourself mm-hmm. and he still loves you. <laughs> it's unbelievable, right? Yeah. Um, yeah. And I, he still wants you. Right? <laughs> he doesn't just love Every you. Time. He wants you. Every time. I, I just, it, it's, I think when, if the people around us see that in us, see that kind of love bursting through us, mm-hmm. nobody would ever want to reject Christ. Mm-hmm. But we don't show that often. We show the judgment side of God where we have no, no space to show, Mm -hmm. you know, we're supposed to be the ones who love and God's the one who judges. Yeah. We can, we can judge with a, 
um, based on on biblical standards and things like judge our brothers and sisters, mm-hmm. but sinners, Christ didn't judge them. He just offered salvation. He mm-hmm. offered kindness and love. Yeah, um, and understanding. Exactly. Mm-hmm. I mean, to so many of the people who were caught in sin, he said, you're forgiven. Mm-hmm. Go, go sin no more, but you're forgiven. Mm-hmm. There, there's no condemnation here. And he was the only one with power to condemn them. Mm-hmm. Um and so that's so important for us to remember and for us to remember in the lives around us. Yeah. And I think it's important on that note because we can we can say all of those things and all of a sudden we're putting an expectation on our fellow believers to, you ought to be doing this. And the danger we run into is we, we end up being too hard. I, and I being too hard on the church as people, since people are people and they do stupid people. We're things. still human. We're still, we're human. still sinners, even though we're, we're not applying, risking yet. Yeah. Applying understanding to non-believers, I think has to start with us applying understanding to believers and applying the love that we want to see outside to the love that's, that should be developing on the inside and yeah. encouraging one another. That's yeah. really where it's supposed to start. Uh, yes, we sh- we should be loving those on the outside. We must be. It's part of the Great Commission. But in order, I mean, the Proverbs says it's said it great. I mean, guard your heart with all diligence because out of it come the issues of life. And the heart of the church. What is the heart of the church? The community that exists within its with yeah. between its members. And if there's discontent, if there's discord, if there's things happening within the church, that's what's going to happen outside. No yeah. matter how much, yeah, no matter doing, what denomination you no are, no matter how much you're doing, right. no matter how much you're doing, no matter what programs you're involved in, what is inside the church, what is the community with between the believers, that is what people are going to see. Because first of all they're going to be looking at us as a community of believers. And then Mm -hmm. what they see is what they're going to expect on the outside. Christ, Christ said, they'll know you. They'll know me by your love. They'll know me by my love through you. Mm -hmm. And it should be so bubbling over in the church, the big C church, not just like a church, but every, every denomination, right. Every denomination should be so loving and so caring that people look at us and go, what do they have that I don't, mm-hmm. you know, my coworkers, I have coworkers who like you were saying are happier than, and more content and understand their blessings than a ton of believers. I know. Um, it is just a disconnect that I want to live my life to, to change. Mm-hmm. Um, the hard yeah. part I think for us as believers is that we're all, we come our, we come broken. And so we, we expect other people to accept us as broken. And that's, really hard for human simple people to do right and so we often make things harder on ourselves by in a way forcing ourselves onto other christian believers because we're like oh you're supposed to love me right right <laughs> like you don't judge me only god can judge me and you're like that's a more severe thing <laughs> like do you know what you're saying yeah yeah. Yeah. There's accountability and then there's judging. Uh-huh. We're not yeah. passing condemnation. That's a good point. Mm-hmm. Judgment is condemnation. We're mm-hmm. not passing condemnation on our brothers and sisters or on the outside world. No. The Lord's already passed judgment. That's mm-hmm. not our job. Mm-hmm. Our job is to keep one another accountable, to right. judge in an accountability from an accountability standpoint. Any anybody judges. There's different levels of judging. There's judgment which is right. condemnation or, you know, passing something across something, some, someone or some situation. And then there's judge making a judgment, mm-hmm. which is, you know, I go down the street in a, in a department store, I see a, a red dress and a blue dress. I decide, I make a judgment that I think the red dress mm-hmm. will look better on mm-hmm. me. That's a judgment. <laughs> right. And it's a matter of, you know, I grew up thinking, oh, well, anything from it's raining today to somebody got in a car accident is like, God's punishing us. No, punishment was already taken care of on the cross. Mm-hmm. I mean, there is no condemnation now to those who are in Christ mm-hmm. Jesus is what the word says. Mm-hmm. You know, we don't have anything to worry about. Yeah. But and we have one, to live in a way that mm-hmm. shares that with others. We can't just keep it to ourselves. Right. Yeah. Yeah. We fired up. <laughs> um, so, 
Um, it is, I could hear you talk for hours. Um, I think the wisdom that you have is so important for this generation. Um, so I'm really glad I got to have you on. Um, so thank you. Thank you. I appreciate, I appreciate it. it. Yeah. I hope you, uh, enjoy the rest of your night now that it's getting dark. <laughs> Thanks. You too. Thank you. Oh, I just love Andrea. God has blessed me with some awesome friends. The music I'm using is by the talented Lance Allen. I love his instrumental work, and he's kindly letting me use his piece called East Nashville. His music is a gift to me, and I think you'll love what he produces. Please let us know what you think about the show at Tailored Creative on Instagram, my creative hub where I post my own photography, designs, and creative endeavors. That's spelled T-A-Y-L-O-R-E-D, creative. Be sure to let me know how you're chasing your dreams too. I'll see you back here in two weeks for another great conversation. Happy Wednesday.